So, welcome. Um, my name is Michelle and I live in Derbyshire with my family. So I've come down just for the afternoon to... Is it your birthday? It's my birthday. Yes, it's my birthday. Um, and the reason that I'm here is because the subjects that I'm talking about is one of my biggest priority subjects. I love talking about it. So it was a bit of a like, oh, should I do this? And then I heard about what, what it was I was being invited to speak about. And it was like, yes, I'm in. I'm all in. Um, so as I said to those of you here, because we're sitting in a circle, and it's so nice to be able to scan and see everybody, by the way. Um, I am a therapist, um, so for the last 20 years I've been working with young people in a variety of different roles and responsibilities um, and about... Oh. <laughs> 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 There's always one. It's always him, isn't it? Um, <laughs> welcome, David. Um, yeah, so I've worked with young people in a variety of different settings, all of which um, I would call quite responsive firefighting session, uh, roles. Um, so very much on the front line of, of different things for many of the roles that I've been in. About six years ago, I decided I wanted to work in a more healing space and in a more healing environment um, with young people at the time. So I retrained uh, as a therapist. And now I don't work with young people at all. <laughs> so, so it's been an interesting journey. I work, um, I run my own private practice and I work um, just with women. Um, so every day I get to spend time with women, supporting them, working with them, learning from them. And it is just the best, best job in the whole, whole, whole wide world. Um, but I still kind of carry a passion with me around young people and hopefully there's some things um, to share today. So uh, I was in Lee's session and it very much follows on from what he was saying. There's a lot of um, intertwinery. Intertwining? Good word, good word. Yeah, Intertwining. yeah. <laughs> it feels right, it does feel right. Um, between what he's saying and what I'm saying. So hopefully, um, whilst there'll be some things that you might hear again, it just really underlines the importance um, of this work um, with young people and mental health. So there will be time for questions. I'm gonna, I speak quite fast. So if I do speak too fast, then just, you know, give me some sort of gesture, a kind gesture, and I'll try and chill out a little bit. Um, but I'm gonna leave some time for questions at the end. Um, and there might be something that you've come with today that you really wanna ask uh, around uh, young people and mental health and how to support that work. Um, so what I would say about anything we talk about today um, anything we do, any questions you ask, just keep it really general. So I'm going to talk quite generally, and I would ask you to keep it quite general. Um, we are being recorded, so for, for like data reasons, let's not say any names, but also out of respect for ourselves and others, let's um, keep any details, specific details about any scenarios to ourselves, no names, no places, no dates, no nothing. Um, and just be really aware of what you're sharing if you choose to share. If it's something quite sensitive, just give a little trigger warning. Um, and I'm going to share a trigger warning that there is something I'm going to talk about today, which is around the theme of uh, religious abuse, sexual abuse, self-harm and suicide as well. <clears throat> so if any of you uh, hear those words, 
and you notice that there's something that makes you go, oh, I don't like that, then you can go. You absolutely don't have to be here. Or if that feels too much and you can't go because everyone's looking at you now, I've made it into a circle, um, just zone out a little bit. Be on your phone, doodle, look out the window, whatever it is, if you need to zone out of what I'm saying, absolutely do that because your safety and your well-being is most important. So I'll, I'll kind of give a little insight as to when I'm going to share this story. Um, so this isn't a therapy session. We're not, I'm not going to ask you to go into any deeper meaningful, just in case anybody thought because of the setup that we're going to start sharing our intimate private lives. We're not going to do that. We will now start the AA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, there might be some things that I open up to the group. If you don't want to answer, if you don't want to get involved, just don't. If nobody gets involved, that's fine. Um, I am so happy with silence. Um, I mean, I could sit in silence in a group for ages and it would probably be you that felt more uncomfortable than me. So please, there's no expectation to get involved and to talk. If you don't want to, don't. It's absolutely fine. Um, but it might be that I just invite us to have a little discussion. We'll see how time goes. Okay. So, young people, mental health. This is what I was given to me as a subject, and it is vast. It is too vast to talk about in the time we've got. Um, so I'm not talking about any specific um, kind of diagnoses today. I'm not talking about any specific issues. But what I am going to bring is something that I have learned to be the most effective tool for supporting young people's mental health um, in the 20 years I've been working with young people. We've talked about it a little bit today and it's kind of beautiful because we're just going to expand <laughs> on that. But where we start with any of these conversations, and again it happened already today, is we start with educating ourselves about what is going on out there. Um, so it's always our starting point. Actually, what is the picture? What is actually happening out there? And in a minute I'm going to share a little bit around the UK picture. Again, it kind of underlines what we've already heard a little bit around young people's mental health. But, but I would encourage you, if you're thinking about this work and you're wondering where to start, it starts with educating yourself about your context. So what happens um, in the UK will be really different to what is going on in your communities where you live. You know, the demographics, the culture, the age, um, the general vibes is what I'm going to say. This is, this is where you're an expert. So, so educate yourself. Find out what is going on. What are the main issues where you live? Because that will be where you need to focus. Um, but I do want to share, as we start, um, just some stats. Um, and just to be clear, that even though these are really general UK-wide stats, your young people will be in these Absolutely, either directly or indirectly, there is no young person that is not affected by the conversation around mental health at the minute. So um, I'm going to share these. Just notice your response. I'm going to I'm going to check in with any responses at the end of this. <clears throat> these stats are taken from Young Minds. Has anyone heard of that charity? Yeah. So this is a charity when I'm working with young people that I would always, always send them to. There's resources. There's training. There's helplines, anonymous, free, 24-7 helplines um, for young people, but also for parents. So Young Minds run a parent helpline as well. Um, and as volunteers and practitioners, you can use that too. So any questions you have around a specific young person, you can just phone them up and there's experts on the end of that line. And it's all free. So it's really worth going and visiting uh, their website. <clears throat> 
So <clears throat> this is what they said, and I'm, I'm actually only going to share a few because I think that the scene was already set for us, which is really helpful. So one in six children aged five to 16 were identified as having a probable mental health problem in July 2021. So this is a huge increase uh, from 2017 where it was one in nine. We're now one in six. One in six young people, children and young people, um, are suffering, struggling with their mental health. So that's five in every classroom. So this has got worse because of the, uh, the pandemic as well. Um, it's gone up 83%, young people's mental health. Um, it's gone up loads. Uh, the number of A&E attendances by young people aged 18 or under, so this is with a recorded diagnosis of a psychiatric condition, um, more than tripled, so tripled between 2010 and 2019. So the trajectory of worsening of young people's health is just is going up and up and up. And I guess you probably all know this. Um, in 2018-2019, a quarter of 17-year-olds reported as having self-harmed um, in the previous year, and 7% of that um, self-harmed with an intent to commit suicide. <clears throat> um, yeah, suicide, this is a horrible one, but it's really important to know. So suicide was the leading cause of death for male and female aged between 5 to 34 in 2019. The leading cause of death was suicide. Um, and as was kind of spoken about, and for, you, for those of you that have been here the last few years, you will hear ACEs, I guess you're all familiar with ACEs, so one in three mental health problems in, adult, in adulthood are directly linked uh, and connected to ACEs. So just, just notice any responses to that, if anybody wants to share those stats, I've not shared them all, um, but what's your initial response to those? They're high. Yeah. Hi. Right. I, I work in a special needs school mm. and the when you say the one in six uh, children, that is my classroom. Mm. Your is, whole classroom. That is my classroom. Yeah. I work I work with six children in one classroom. Mm. And that, that would literally be the class. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It hit me about the suicide thing. Mm. Mm. But not because of the vastness of it. But because it's from five years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. I've got a six year old boy. Mm. Like, and I'm an emotional type. Mm -hmm. But like for him to ever think that at six mm. or five. Like I know I, I tried to start myself when I was like six. But that's because I was proper bullied in school. But then when I relate that to him, I might have to see him sometimes. So for a five year old. Mm. Yeah, it's massive. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 This is why there's no other book in feminist. I think you think about the self-harming of 17-year-olds, you know, you think that when you're older than 40, you're 25%. Mm. And assuming yeah. that is deliberate, that's not like you're doing this too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah, specific, yeah. Intentional, specific yeah. Cutting yeah. And things like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but you're, you're right, the conversation of self-harm, absolutely brilliant point to make. The conversation of self-harm is bigger than just cutting or burning or whatever it is, actually. There is 
kind of uh, intentional self-harm and I suppose unintentional as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's interesting with billions that we for COVID mm. because we blame so much on COVID, but these are prior to that. Yeah, yeah, already there. Yeah, the scene has already been set, and and we know, you know, I think, you know, we're very much in the time of gathering information about what the impact is of COVID. We're still really too close to it, I suppose, to actually know. But um, yeah, the scene is already set, and I and I think it, I think it has got worse. Certainly, I I worked with young people in COVID, and it was. Mm. Very difficult. Did anyone else work with young people around mental health in COVID? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very difficult. Really difficult. Yeah. Both at the army and working. Yeah. Um, was involved with, with young people the whole way through. Yeah. And um, a lot of them, uh, their mental health deteriorated more during COVID because they weren't allowed to do things. Mm -hmm. um, and they weren't, you know, that their daily routine was messed up. So if they normally went to a youth club on a Wednesday night, they couldn't go to that youth club on that Wednesday night because they weren't allowed out of the house. Mm. And um, parents were getting COVID and different bits and pieces. And you just kind of, you just wanted to sort of take them somewhere that you knew that you couldn't because. Yeah, they were stuck, weren't yeah. they? They were stuck. That was really difficult. I did quite a lot of online um, with my students at school, um, more so than kids at the army and the young people at the army. Um, but um, quite a lot of what I did online was a lesson, but made more more fun, so that they kind of had the the fun side of education rather than the well, I'm bored at home, so what's the point on going on to a, to a maths lesson? Because it's just going to be boring. Mm. And trying to, like, engage that way. Mm. It, it takes a lot from you as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Those of us that worked with young people in COVID, and generally, I suppose, those of us that work with young people, we'll talk about this later, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot to keep coming up with those ideas. That was hard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so stats are really important in order for us to kind of real have, uh, have like real anchoring down into what's actually going on. But um, for some of us, they're quite hard to connect with a stat. Um, but if one in six young people are struggling with their mental health, then we can make an assumption that in, within your realms, whether it's your church, um, whether it's your work, your family, um, or hobbies, or clubs, or whatever it is that you're involved with, you're going to be encountering a, a young person that is struggling with their mental health. So when we start to think about the people that are in our orbit, the stat turns into a story. This is what we're going to look at a little bit today. What are the stories behind the stats? So. As I said, I'm a therapist, I work uh, with women, um, and I work often in trauma. I'm a trauma-informed therapist. Um, and as a therapist, and again, it was so beautifully put in there, um, there are a number of things that I do to support my clients. Um, but up there, with the most important, is to create safe spaces for my clients to share their stories. Um, so these are stories sometimes that have never been said before and may never get said again, but because we're creating safe environments, um, they're able to share their story. Um, and everybody 
has a story. Everybody has a story. And I mean that in terms of kind of you existentially, but quite literally, your body is holding your story. Um, and I just want to kind of underline this a little bit, just a little exercise. Don't worry, you don't have to do anything weird. Um, luckily, that's another seminar I'm leading. Not yet, no. Um, so Lee spoke in there about people's responses and reactions and reactions and how they're living with trauma. So trauma is felt and all mental health diagnoses um, are felt in our bodies. Okay, so we think it's up in our brain, it's not, it starts in our body. So we're gonna we're gonna just do a little exercise and all I'm gonna ask you to do um, just to kind of underline the importance of this is take a moment if you want to you can close your eyes and it's okay if you fall asleep I do this with my clients all the time and very often we'll have a little nap afterwards no we won't um, but it, it does take a bit of oh you're still awake um, all I'm going to ask you to do is scan so imagine that you've got like a little uh, torch or a little x-ray machine scanning from your toes right up to your head so you might want to wiggle your toes you might want to wiggle your ankles and your legs or you might just want to notice I want you to notice particularly any outward expressions of how your body holds the story of your life. So I'll talk you through this, but as I do, just scan from your toes right up to your head. Just notice, notice what it is that your body is telling you about your story. So it might be the scar on your forehead from when you were little and you thought that you were superwoman and tried to jump off the stairs and landed not very well so you've got a scar that was me that happened to me <laughs> this story tells a story my scar tells a story right it might be that tension that you're noticing in your shoulders if you notice it you can take a little bit of movement to see if you can get rid of that a little bit but it might be the tension in your shoulders that you're noticing um and that's been there ever since you've taken on that new role at work your shoulders might be telling you a story about what's going on it might be the laughter lines by your eyes, which can tell tales of times um, with loved ones who brought you joy. It might be the pain in your hips that you've been struggling with that has been there since you lost that person that you love. We hold a lot of emotion in our hips. And if we feel uh, grief in particular, we might notice that there's pain there. So these are kind of external, I suppose, in some ways, stories that we hold. Our body holds stories, but there are also inwards expressions. And just to kind of underline what Lee said, um, again, you might notice as you're scanning your body, you might notice that there's some things going on. You might feel a bit nervous or you might feel a bit uncomfortable. You might notice that's going on in your body at the minute. Your body is telling you a story. Your body, your heart might speed up when you see someone coming towards you that you love and you get excited. Your body will be talking to you about that. It holds the story of that relationship or that sense of dread when you go back near that road where you had that awful car accident you'll notice it your body will hold that story um, the way your body tenses up and becomes rigid every time you smell that smell which takes you right back to a time in your life that was distressing for you or you hear that key in the lock or the way that is though when that piece of music comes on your body holds a story it holds a memory and, the, and our bodies tell us that story all the time. So our body, our story is held in our bodies. And for many of us, we are able to cope with this. So 
for many of us here, or for some of us, we might be able to sit here and hold that story and it feel okay. Um, and that's because our stories aren't overwhelming or frightening. But as we've heard already, for those who are struggling, this can be a distressing experience, particularly if there's no safe space to share their story. There's no one to share their story with. It's held in their body and then um, it gets played out in all sorts of different ways. So when this happens, this is when we start to see mental health issues. When we hold the memory of something in our bodies and there's no safe space to process it or share it. Um, again, we heard uh, about Bessel van der Kolk. Um, has anyone read his book? It's quite a read. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Lee spoke about it. He says this, as long as you keep secrets and suppress information, you're fundamentally at war with yourself. The critical issue is allowing yourself to know what you know, and that takes an enormous amount of courage. So this allowing yourself to know what you know, um, often with young people come through disclosure, come through telling their story um, verbally, through telling somebody else. Um, so how do we support that? Because that will often be the role that you're in if you're working with young people and children, although children will express it in a slightly different way to young people. I don't know anything about children. They're not my area of expertise, so you have to speak to a specialist about how children do that, but young people certainly will often use language. Um, so Bessel van der Kolk, he talks about this as well. Um, how do we support young people to tell their story? He says this. Being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives, as we've already heard. So we're going to dig down into that bit a little bit. How do we create these connections? Um, so this leaves us with a challenge. In a society where one in six young people are struggling with their mental health, and we know that safe spaces are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. And we also know that church spaces are very influential and formative spaces for young people, but not always safe. How do we create safe spaces in our churches that feel safe enough for them to share their story? So notice that I say safe enough, because sometimes that's all we can aim for. We won't often be able to provide full safety but if we can work to make it feel safe enough sometimes that's that's all that they need just look at the time just like for two minutes two minute discussion what do you think would create a safe space in the in the communities and churches that we're in or what makes it unsafe for young people do you think Okay, just because I'm aware of time, because this is a whole seminar, I suppose, in itself, but just throw out, we won't kind of go into it, but just throw out any words or ideas. What creates safe spaces, or what have been unsafe spaces for young people? Both are kind of helpful. What creates safe spaces, do we think? Uh, a roof. A roof. So a physical space. Yeah. I would say having like a special person to speak to. Mm. So a specific person. Yeah, lovely. That person being emotionally available and physically available. Oh, brilliant. Available. Available. That's right. Spelling isn't my strong point, by the way, so we'll just have to <laughs> learn to be all right with that. 
Seating. So again, this goes into physical space. Am I in the way, sir? Well, like you should be doing this. <laughs> this is your job, isn't it? Being genuine. Genuine. Yeah. If someone's left anywhere, I don't want to tell them anything. Yeah. We'll dig into this one in a minute. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. What about like a safe room? Like if someone's angry. Mm. So again, a, like a, a room that sort of, instead of punching a brick wall, they could punch a soft. Walls, like. <laughs> like a padded room. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. I know that sounds really silly. No, it does. It sounds great. I could have done with that for many of my clients. Um, yes, that is. You're absolutely right, though. Like somewhere for them to be able to express themselves yeah. and to let out whatever it is that they're holding. I like that. Boundaries. Yeah, beautiful. And, uh, I suppose yeah. the thing is being present, isn't it? Like, like they said, but being fully present with someone and not distracted by yeah. anything. Lovely. I'm just going to stop it there because this is good stuff. Um, and maybe we'll have time to continue. Um, so. This is the challenge. How do we support young people's mental health? Well, we know they hold their stories in their bodies. And we know that actually in order for them to be able to, um, we would say, integrate it um, and able to process it, they need to be able to share it with somebody. Um, so this is the challenge. The somebody is us, <laughs> isn't it? The somebody is us. Um, and the safe, these safe spaces, they start with us as role models, practitioners, volunteers with young people. Um, so we talked to you about the importance of educating ourselves and understanding the mental health picture in your community, but it does go deeper than that. Um, and actually, it starts with us. So in order for young people to connect with us, we first need to connect with ourselves. We need to understand our own boundaries, our own experiences, our own traumas, our own prejudices. We need to understand why and how we show up for these young people. Um, in the way that we do and in the way that we are. So when I first went for my, um, I started training a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, and uh, I went for an interview. We went through the usual, you know, interview questions. And then at the end, they said, oh, Michelle, just one more question. What are your prejudices and what are your biases? And of course, I was like, I don't have any. <laughs> I'm fully accepting. And they said, no, 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 no. It's just not possible. So what are they? And we explored that a little bit together and have continued to ever since. Our conscious and unconscious biases will seep into the work we do. So it is important as a first step that we become aware of these and never more are they going to show up than in our work with young people, for sure. We start to explore them for ourselves. The work, it starts with us. Connection starts with us. So if we want to create safe spaces for young people, then we need to be safe people. If we're turning up each Sunday to youth club or Sunday school, depleted, over busy, judging young people's behaviours or are regularly triggered by how young people are showing up, um, then th this will shine through in the work that we do and it will have an impact on our well-being and it will certainly impact the work that you're doing with young people. So we're faced with a very challenging tapestry of issues that young people are navigating currently. Um, gender identity, sexuality, body image, climate anxiety, self-harm, social media. Um, so 
this isn't one for an open group, but just for yourself, um, as I continue, just have a little think about, about what your thoughts and responses are to these things. What do they bring up for you so you don't need to share this? But when, young, when a young person comes to you and wants to explore their gender identity, what comes up for you? What does it trigger? What's your experience of that? When a young person comes in and they're super angry about something, what's that? What's that like for you? What does that trigger? Just have a little think as I carry on about what your conscious, unconscious biases are. How are you showing up for young people and why? And I want to share a story and this is where the trigger warning comes in. So zone out if you need to. I want to share a story. I'm going to call her Amanda. And she was one of the young people I worked with actually in COVID. Um, and she showed up to me one day. It was actually online. Unfortunately, it wasn't in person. She had a history of severe self-harm with suicidal intentions. So there's non-suicidal self-injury and there's suicidal injury at... Uh, what am I saying? Thank you. Yes, there's, uh, there's injury with intent to commit suicide. She was in the latter. She had a very complex history. <clears throat> when she came to me, she had been through a lot of therapy and she was doing really, really well. In fact, this, this kind of happened before she came to me, but she had been through a lot of therapy and she was doing really, really, really well to the point where she decided that she was ready to go on a date. And she went on a date and she um, ended up, this was the first date she'd ever been on, and she ended up getting raped by her date. Um, now her first response, the first person she went to was her minister. She thought he was a safe space. She wanted a safe space to disclose what had happened to her. And he responded to her in two ways. I feel my heart beating. This is, this is how I know it's, oh, it makes me wobbly. He responded to her in two ways. His first response was to blame her. You shouldn't have gone on that date. You weren't ready. This is on you. You knew you weren't ready. You shouldn't have gone. And then her, his other response was one of shame. And I can't pray for you. I won't pray for you. You're too vulnerable. Then he left her to deal with it. And that is when she went home and attempted suicide. Just gonna take a breath. <laughs> Anyone else wanna take a breath with me, you can. <sighs> so it's really difficult and I find it very difficult, um, I'll own it, I find it very difficult to not judge, pass judgment on this guy for handling it so badly. But this actually isn't a story about incompetence or at least it isn't just a story about incompetence, but it's a story about disconnection. This minister couldn't show up for her I would imagine that there was something going on for him that blocked his connection to her. And then him being in a position of power as a minister over the church, this disconnection with himself caused significant harm to Amanda. So I'm not telling you to scare, that, to scare you or, you know, you're holding enough responsibility in the positions that you're holding. Uh, but it's more of an invitation to just check in with yourself um, as you do this precious and fragile work. Do you have the right support around you? Is this something that you're choosing to do, not obligated to do, not feeling a duty to do, but are you choosing to do this? Can you hold these young people and all of their complex issues um, without casting judgment or shaming? Are you able to hear these stories when they show up? And do you know when it's time to pass it on to somebody else to say, actually, I can't. 
I can't deal with this for you, but I will support you into somebody else, into help, getting help. So it was never the minister's role to work with Amanda in her trauma, and it's not our role, it's not your role to do that either. Um, but it is his job, it was his job to provide a tender place to validate her and to gently guide her into getting the help she deserves. That was his role. And it isn't our role to fix these young people. It's not what we're asked to do. But what we, asked to, what we are asked to do is to see them and accept them and be with them as they work through their struggles, which might at point mean supporting them into other services. So this is good news for you because it means that you don't need to be all things to all people. And it means that you don't have to be perfect. Hooray. Um, you don't need to be without your own struggles and you don't need to be without your own areas of growth. And in fact, I would say absolutely 100% of the time, it will be your imperfection and your humanity that will be the basis of forming these deep connections with young people that create safe spaces. For these young people to know that you're human and that you don't have all the answers and that you have your struggles, although you don't need to share with them what they are, um, and that you're wholly there for them. This provides a relationship of trust because it's, who said this? Genuine, because it's genuine, because it's real. And it's this authentic connection that, uh, that will support young people's mental health. It's simply that, being a safe space. Irvin Yalom, who's like a philosopher, existential thinker, um, and if you don't remember anything else, just remember this from today, he said this, it's the relationship that heals. It's not what you do or what you say or any advice you give, but being in relationship with you, these young people will start to heal. And this is transformative. Okay, we're nearly there. Um, again, just shout out to me. Um, think of somebody that makes you feel completely safe. Somebody that you feel really connected to. And just for a minute, shout out what it is about them that makes you feel safe. <clears throat> it's, uh, trust and in, the integrity that they show. Integrity, trust, beautiful. Oh, isn't that blimmin' typical, isn't it? Oh, I can't go green again. I'm having a panic, so I don't have a pen. Here we go. Integrity, yes. Trust. Anything else? Uh, welcoming. Welcoming. Beautiful. Well done. Never shock and never judge. Yes. Never shock and never judge. Never shock, never judge. Oh. <laughs> never shock. That does say shocked. Just doesn't look like it. <laughs> Accepting who I am. Yeah. <clears throat> Beautiful. Love. Oh, yeah. Honest people that I don't want to hear. Honest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can call me out. Yeah. I would say reciprocation. Reciprocation. Regarded. Yeah, like, you know you're loved and you feel that back type yeah. thing. Yeah, lovely. You're really stretching me, aren't you, with the reciprocation? Is it reciprocation? Uh, oh. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Where's spell check when you need it? Oh, Mm. Any more? Shame-free. Shame-free, yay. Perfect. Shame-free. I'm just going to stop there.
So look at this list if you can read it. That's a, that is a mess right up there. If you can read it, look at this list. Is this not the relationship that God invites you into? All we are doing, all we are asked is to be a mirror of that. Full acceptance, unconditional love, arms open to our young people. Richard Bohr said this, we humans are not, ki not a kind of independent substance, nor is any of creation. Everything exists in radical relationship. So we now call this ecosystems, orbits, cycles. Um, and then he goes on further to say that God is relationship himself, itself, sorry. God is relationship itself. So we often hear about the youth of today and, and we hear about their behavior. And again, this underlines, I think, what Lee was talking about so beautifully in there. Often we see mental health as a behavioural issue. We often look at anxiety, addiction, self-harm as bad behaviour. And indeed, there are some therapies that work with behaviour. But this is a deep misunderstanding of what is actually going on. So if you are in the ministry, of engaging with young people, then there is no room for talk about behavior or behavior um, or conditioning in that way. <clears throat> we are not in this to raise up good boys and good girls. We are in the ministry of holding hope for these young people that we work with and holding safe spaces for them. And this, this is healing. <clears throat> so for Amanda, the trauma of how she was treated by her minister weighs as heavy as the traumatic event. Um, she found me in a charity, a secular charity if you like, I worked for at the time um, and I started working with her and, and we got her the support she needed, specialised support. Um, and she found a level of healing there but I can't help but think about Amanda and think that was not necessarily our job to do. It wasn't my job to do, she went to her minister. That's what the church is meant to be, a place for all human beings those in joy, those in pain, and everything in between, to be in relationship with other human beings without shame or blame. There is no healing and no moving forward without one human connecting with another in a way that is genuine. I even wrote it down. You've written it and I've written it. Thank you, genuine, authentic was another one that came up somewhere. Um, and empathetic as well. There, oh, and there will be no change unless we see, um, sorry, there will be no change unless these young people can have their stories heard without judgment and with complete regard for them as human beings. So if there is one thing I have learned in my time of working with young people, the one thing we can do, we can't do anything else, one thing we can do to support young people's mental health is to listen. Listen with a non-judgmental spirit. Listen without agenda or pushing to change behaviours, although that might come eventually, behaviour change. Listen without exerting our power over young people by giving them advice or solutions or trying to fix things. Listen with authenticity, with an open heart and an open mind. And whilst you're offering that to yourself, this safe relationship, then make sure that you seek that out too. You deserve that safe space for yourself as well. If you're offering that to young people, then you deserve somebody to have that for yourself too. 
And without it, I would say that this kind of precious and intense and fragile and heartbreaking and soul-searching work, it just won't be sustainable. You will just be giving and there won't be anything uh, for you to receive. So with that in mind, I want to offer you some support, although it's going to be just a few minutes. Um, I realise that there's a lot in there, lots of different things going on. So I'm happy to take questions. I can take maybe a few now, but I'm around for the rest of the day, so I'm more than happy. What I won't do is speak into people's uh, specific situations. I can't <coughs> diagnose and I won't offer anything like that. It would be useless. Um, but I'm happy to talk generally. So does anybody have any questions? And it's okay if you don't, or it's okay if you want to ask me uh, in private later. That's fine. Or thoughts? Anything that's kind of come up for you that you've noticed around this stuff? There's so much. <laughs> mm. It's a lot. I think for me, like I wasn't aware that there was stuff that I still needed to deal with. I thought I was pretty much like sorted. I'm dead, like resilient with regards to lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things. And I was working with this one young person, and then I left that session. I'm like, yes, I can do deal with this. <laughs> so then I went off and sorted all this stuff out, and then I was just like, by the way, line manager, <laughs> I can't be dealing with all of this. But like, I think even now there'll be stuff that stuff hits us, and I see similarities between me and young people. And I'm like, but they are not me. Mm. Like, I'd have to remember that they mm -hmm. are not me. Mm. But I, I think I aim to support them in a way I was never supported. Mm. So I think because of the shortfalls that I had <clears throat> when I was younger, because of the lack of support, but because I never, <laughs> I was just resilient, deal with everything on your own, mm -hmm. stubborn, whatever. Um, I try to be what I never had to be stubborn was. Mm. Yeah, that's that's just so such a beautiful kind of circle, I suppose, of you reflecting on what it was like for you and then being able to work with that and bring it. Lovely. I moved away during a mental health period. Um, and I, I moved um, into grandma and granddad for a while. Um, and it wasn't because it was my mum or my dad, it was the area. Um, and I just needed to get away. Mm. Well done for honouring that instinct. Fair enough, I cried every day I was away. <laughs> Anything else from anybody? I'm aware of time. What are the main reasons for this increase in mental health problems? Is there analysis of that? I mean, I think... We often look to social media to blame. It's not always the case, but I think that there is an exposure that perhaps young people have now that they didn't have before. Exposure to news, for example. You know, there's a lot of really difficult things going on in the world which perhaps young people and children would have been protected from before where they're not now. From other people's opinions. A lot of exposure to that. A lot of comparison that shows up in these spaces having no space to retreat from it as well. So I think there's something there. Um, I think there are more safe spaces for young people to tell their stories. So I mean, we'll never know, but is it an increase in young people's <coughs> mental health or is it that we're now becoming aware of it because actually young people are being supported to tell 
what's going on. Yeah. I think when I was Typical. a child, but like personally, there there wasn't really like or I didn't feel that there was that safe space. Mm. Um, sometimes it's hard it's hard to speak about things with uh, like parents, and so you try and find another safe adult mm. or, or a safe person. But um, it was never that easy as as a child people didn't really understand mm. Mm. yeah there's certainly a lot more um, ability for young people to express which mm. might mean that we're hearing more stories so perhaps voice in there but I do think that there are issues that have come up that are coming up now that you know gender identity is massive <coughs> and, and I've not worked with young people for a year now but certainly that was coming through my door every other young person um, yeah and an increase um uh, you know like the age of thinking about sexuality is is perhaps getting younger as well that's a massive thing um body image is always a huge thing and yeah girls are developing younger we know this and so we're seeing an increase in issues around that as well i mean i'm speaking quite from a female perspective i generally work with girls and now i only work with women so it's difficult to speak into the Anyone else can speak into that who works with boys, I think. I think one of my reflections is that a lot of the stuff that's written up on the, the board um, takes a lot of time and is quite fragile to um, establish and to maintain. Yet in the story that you've recounted and, and in so many other situations, it's very easy and quick to break. Those things, mm. one word, yeah. put a phrase, and in you know, sit, wondering what's their situation of, you know, speaking generally, they're a child at 10 years old who came out, and the way that their minister dealt with that, and thankfully hasn't led down the, the same path that, that you spoke about, but could so easily have damaged that child beyond, beyond repair almost, mm. um, just, just because of the way just kind of it, it, they dealt with the situation. Mm fragile yeah yeah it is fragile it is fragile and I think that's why the work starts with us you know and coming from a therapist perspective where we are always working on us going to therapy getting super bit like it's always because actually how we show up for other people is a direct reflection of the relationship we have with ourselves and so yeah and particularly you know those of you that are volunteering with young people I really hope that there are spaces for you to get supported or else this work is too hard and, and we can start to feel the pressure of how fragile it is. Um, yeah, young people's mental health, if you're working with young people in their mental health, it cannot be, it, the conversation cannot happen outside of how you are as well and what support structures are in place for you. They go hand in hand. Um, so if you are feeling unsupported um, and, you, and someone's asking you to develop a programme for young people's mental health, it starts with you saying, okay, well, who's going to look after me? Who's, who's there for me? And then everything else grows out of that. So that when those fragile things happen, um, because, you know, we're human and we don't get it right all the time, um, but so when those, those fragile things happen and, and perhaps we see things go wrong very much like that, um, we have that support to be able to deal with the fragility of these 
young people and the relationships that we're in. I think it's just key, really key. Super easy for me to say, isn't it? <laughs> really, really difficult to implement. So I'll leave you all to discuss that, how you're going to do that in the next seminar. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I'm going to let you go if you have any questions.